Arturo Merán. Arturo, Yeah, it's all static still. I don't know what it is. Oh, dude, you got it. Hold it right there. Is it recording? Yeah. It is May 14th, and for all you mamas out there, you know what that means. Happy Mother's Day from the Spoken Tour, specifically to one Kelly Michael. And a Miss Betsy Crosby. Happy Mother's Day. You are both beautiful, and we love you. Anyway, we sit here uh, celebrating our beautiful mothers with uh, a little bit of, what, Tom, would you say regret for how we've uh, used our quote-unquote rest days? Uh, Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily call it regret due to the overwhelming amount of fun that was had with nearly 10 of our closest friends who drove here from Denver for the weekend. But, um, yeah, I would say heavy, heavy air quotes around rest days, seeing that we spent those rest days climbing our faces off and drinking what was left of our faces off Yeah, into the wee hours of the morning and then waking up and doing it again the next day. Um, If it's any indicator of said rest days, it's about 9.45 on Sunday night and I'm sitting in a dim room with my sunglasses on, uh, due to a throbbing headache. So thank you, uh, friends for helping us celebrate our, our rest days. Thank you, friends. Thank you, beer. Thank you, whiskey. Um, thank you, Mount Sopris. We are learning the hard way how to take care of ourselves here on tour. And, uh, it was not easy from the start. We we got hit with some weather on day one, practically as soon as we set up camp. Um, and despite being dead tired and soaking wet and cold, uh, we were able to uh, get a couple recordings to set the scene for what our first day was like. So why don't we take you guys there now? Good evening. Uh, Tommy and Tyler here. Uh Laying down in our tent after the end of the first day, we are uh, currently at the Barber Fork Trailhead, uh, over a quarter mile from the trailhead as required by the U.S. National Forest Service, Um, and we kind of uh, got our butts kicked today, pretty tired, Uh, and it's raining and everything's going to be wet when we wake up in the morning. What was what was your highlight and your low light of day one? My highlight was seeing Tommy fall over <laughs> when he, he failed to eject from his clip-in pedal. Uh, and this was right off the bat, probably within the first 10 miles. Uh, and my... Right under the pavement. My low light was the first uh, probably 20 pedal strokes of the journey because my bike was wobbling so hard, so, so hard, and it scared me, and I thought, oh, my God, how is this going to happen? How is this going to work? So that was it. So that's pretty much where we're at. We will uh, continue to do these silly recordings even after hours and hours of pedaling our bikes and all we want in the world is to go to sleep in a nice, warm, dry place. Not a pouring rain and hailstorm in our tent, but we'll take what we can get. 
sun is out, clothes are dry, we're lounging in Vail, Colorado with a couple cups full of whiskey. Tough to complain. Tough to complain. Definitely a, uh, a better setting than the last time we brought the mic out, which was in uh, Idaho Springs, just outside of town, uh, in the middle of a deluge. And uh, we were trying to not only stay dry, but get ourselves psyched up for our first day of really, really challenging uh, terrain. And, uh, you know, that, that setting right there in itself is a good segue into uh, the first installment of one of our favorite segments here on the Spoken Tour. No bad days, but this one totally sucked. So we took off on day two, uh, happy as a couple of clams, and stopped in town, grabbed a coffee, weather report was a little better than expected, sun was out, so we popped on the bikes and started making our way west out of Idaho Springs, up to Georgetown, stopped at the gas station, grabbed a Gatorade, bag of chips, still feeling good. Another, you know, thousand feet of climbing or so to Silver Plume. And leaving Silver Plume, that's where things started to get pretty interesting. We uh, were faced with a fork in the road, the left going to what seemed like just a beautiful backwoods bike path, the right uh, continuing on uh, the frontage road crossing the interstate and uh, the frontage road. Uh, going along on the north side of the highway and we thought well screw that you know the bike path is where it's at um so we took that and we were loving it for a couple miles uh isolation solitude just the trees and the sound of our wheels spinning and then all of a sudden we came to uh a couple patches of snow that covered um you know almost the entirety of the bike path and we were shooting gaps about a foot wide where there wasn't any snow and we were having fun thinking okay yeah we're still rolling we're still making good time then we came to the first patch of snow that covered the trail completely uh maybe four or five inches deep not a real problem we had about 30 feet of just pushing it through with minimal effort and uh, we got back on the bike started pedaling and you know we hit another patch or two of this three to six inch snow and we're laughing taking photos throwing snowballs at each other having a good time and then we turn a corner and we see this drift of snow that's probably three feet deep covering the entire path we stopped for a second and neither of us were really laughing anymore because we realized that we had to push our bikes through a three foot, maybe 40 yard drift of snow. So we charge at it. We start pushing our bikes through and, you know, our, our bikes are nearly a hundred pounds fully weighted down. So picture trying to post hole your way through a three foot drift of snow in more or less tennis shoes and spandex short shorts <laughs> while pushing dragging slogging this metal beast next to you all the while trying to make sure that you don't smack your legs on the pedals and draw blood from your shins so 
We make it through this first drift, and sure enough, there's another deceiving clear patch of trail, and we hop on the bikes for a second, turn the next corner, and sure again, nothing but a white, snowy path in front of us. So this kind of became the norm for the next two miles. Uh, the trail stopped popping up, and uh, we only had kind of the natural drop-off of the side of the trail to judge where we were going. And uh, at this point in the day, uh, the hardest riding was still still in front of us. We had, we had Loveland Pass, which is about 2,000, 2,500 vertical feet in about four miles. And so Ty and I had really kind of strategically been pacing ourselves for, for Loveland and this snow catastrophe just kind of threw that plan to the wayside. The, uh, the riding the pass was by far the most difficult stretch of the route that day, but the amount of energy required to uh, get through these snow patches was far and away <laughs> more difficult than, uh, riding our bikes uphill. Um, because you're literally having to psych yourself up, charge every muscle in your body, your legs, your arms to lift the bike, your back to lunge it forward, just to make maybe two and a half feet of progress through the snow. And so after doing that for two hours, we were just toast. We were totally bushed. And uh, we found a little side cut in the trail. We decided that anything would be better than what we were going through. So uh, we took this uh, the side cut that meandered about almost a half a mile through the woods. Luckily, the snow cover uh, was a lot thinner, and we were able to more or less walk without, uh, without post-holing or without any slogging. We got to uh, the Herman Gulch exit of I-70, got to the underpass, started weighing our options, and realized that even despite the uh, oncoming snow thunder, we had to ride on the shoulder of I-70 to get to the Loveland Basin exit where we could maybe go inside at the ski area, recover a little bit, uh, see what our options were, see how we were going to get over the pass. So terrifyingly enough, we put on a fresh pair of socks and more or less every single layer that we have on us and we took to the shoulder of I-70 for three strenuous uphill miles to get to Loveland, where, while we were sitting under the I-70 over, overpass, we had Google mapped uh, the Loveland ski area bar that, according to Google, was open for another few hours. So this gave Ty and I the motivation to maybe grab a beer and a hot plate of food or some soup before we make the make the ascent up Loveland. But... Sure enough, we get to Loveland ski area and there are giant signs everywhere saying, sorry folks, closed for the season. No services, no nothing, pretty much just cleaning crews there uh, doing whatever off-season work they had to do to get ready for next year. And this whole time, with every passing semi that had been just thundering down the road, five feet from Tommy and I, you know, we'd been picturing a cup of hot chocolate or soup or whatever. And uh, those dreams were dashed. We figured our best course of action was to hitchhike. Luckily, uh, someone stopped after maybe like 10 minutes of thumbing it. And uh, super nice guy. 
uh, wasn't even going up Loveland Pass. His destination was the other way, but he saw us on the side of the road, threw our stuff in the bed of the truck, along with our bodies, and uh, gave us a ride to the summit, where we kind of regrouped, we transitioned, got all of our bags loaded back on the bike, threw on the warm layers, and uh, right as this heavy fog layer was kind of cresting over the pass, we clipped in and started making the descent in not ideal conditions uh, for that kind of steep, steep downhill. And uh, I think by the end of it, we had our hands were cramping from being on the brakes for so long. Our backs were about to spasm for being hunched over, but we were both just smiling from ear to ear because even though we didn't get to ride up the pass and complete our route uh, the way we envisioned it, that downhill was just so much fun. <laughs> and then we got to the, like, we were screaming downhill, probably 35, 40, 45 miles an hour. And I, I look over when we get to the very bottom and Ty, I had these nerdy, clear, like, construction glasses on. And I look over and Ty had been doing the whole thing bare-eyed and his eyes are as red as the devil's back. Just total psychopath move going down Loveland with, with no uh, <laughs> no glasses on. Oh, but yeah, that's the little things. <laughs> so that pretty much covers uh, our no bad days, but this one totally sucked. And uh, it totally sucked, but it had a silver lining. And hopefully all of our bad days will have a silver lining. Only time will tell. Except for the ones that definitely for sure won't. Oh, yeah, yeah those, those ones, ones that just all out suck. Yeah. So that was Tuesday. Um, we had a pretty uneventful day of riding on Wednesday. And today we were once again excited to kind of redeem ourselves uh, going up and over Vail Pass um, with another magnificent bike path uh, from Copper to Vail. Um, but we, about two miles into the trail, saw more enormous snowdrifts. And this time we stopped immediately. We started looking around, trying to judge the scene, size up what the probabilities were that we were going to run into the same kind of situation that we did uh, on the path to Loveland. And I think both of us were a little bit jaded from that experience, just we wanted anything in the world to avoid uh, what we got ourselves into before. So we turned around. Wait, wait, wait. Let us not forget the fact that as we turned the corner to our first four-foot snowdrift, we run into a bobcat. Not a feline bobcat, but a construction site bobcat who is clearing the path with full bed upon full bed of snow. So, you know... Buckets overflowing us, with snow. Let us not forget that. And luckily, we were, the guy was able to provide us with a little bit of info, letting us know that there were multiple bobcat crews along Vail Pass that day clearing snow. So, I, as, as it goes, I think we may have been literally one day too early mm -hmm. to ride Vail Pass. Which was another major shot to our <laughs> self-confidence. 
We uh, were skipping the second consecutive mountain pass. Within our first four days of riding. Within our first four days of riding. Starting to question uh, just what the hell we were thinking. (laughs) Planning this thing. Riding through the Rockies in May. But uh, we we got a ride pretty quickly. And uh, we made it up and over. And then we were kind of further questioning our decision making. Because every chance that we got from the... From this guy's truck, we were looking out over the uh, wreck path that runs between I-70, and we kept seeing clear pavement on the bike path. And so we're thinking, God, you know, we, we quit too soon. We should have gone for it. Um, we're kind of weaseling out. We're not, we're not riding. We're not trying as hard as we could have. And so, yeah, we were just feeling shitty. Yeah, that was... Neither of us wanted to turn around, but... I think we both knew exactly what was going to be in store for us. Just a long, arduous, wet crapshoot of a day, similar to what we had on the second day, leading up to Loveland Pass. But, I don't know, I think that's something that we're both very well aware of, is there's a level of craziness that we we inherently need to have for this trip but there's also this level of rational decision making mm-hmm. especially when you are only four days in is it worth trudging your bike and all of its components mm-hmm. through iced up gnarly drifts of snow that, Des- descending yeah you know steep bike path with those same gnarly drifts of snow and ice. And, uh, yeah, we came to the decision that it was not worth that risk. Yeah. But we made it to Vail. We we still got a good section of climbing in, thanks to (laughs) uh, the Josem strategic location of their beautiful uh, Vail home. Chateau Josem. Chateau Josem, which is located at the top of Alpe de Josem, because the climb to get up here was probably the, the highest our heart rates have been uh, <laughs> since leaving Denver. Oh yeah, but I don't know. There've been there've been some. I feel like we're making it sound pretty deflating and defeating, but I mean we've gotten some killer riding, and there's only been two tiny portions so far where we've had to get off the bikes. Mm-hmm. And I mean in the. You know, the big picture, there are going to be many, many, many portions of this ride where we're hitching or hopping on a bus or hopping on a boat, whatever it may be. Yeah. And it's not like we're trying to prove some glorious, magnificent feat of human strength where we mm-hmm. have to ride every single inch. I think that's kind of far from what we're yeah. what we're hoping to do here, which I'm I don't know. I yeah. think there's just you get a lot out of pain, but sometimes it's just not worth it at all. There's the human-powered component to this trip, which Tommy and I have been talking up a lot, and we're both really excited to cover this much ground um, with nothing but the strength of our own bodies. But I think there's maybe little asterisks that should be attached to the human-powered component of the trip, and that is you know, also the human kindness powered like asking people for help when you need it and uh, those instances of receiving help from generous people 
can really save your butt. And we've witnessed that firsthand in the first week multiple times. And uh, I think we will continue to do that when the situation calls for it. And it'll make our lives easier. It'll make this trip uh, possible. And it'll probably introduce us to some really cool people along the way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's been pretty fun. This pretty funny being day four and people seeing us on these ginormous bikes with, you know, packed to the gills. Boy, you boys must be out on a long trip, ain't you? <laughs> and we'll, we'll be like, oh, well, yeah, you know, we, we, we're we riding tonight. We're riding the copper. We're riding the veil. And they're like, oh, well, is that it? And we're like, well, no, then we're riding to Carbondale and, well, then San Diego. And actually, after that, we're going down to Mexico and through Central America and eventually down to South America. And it's just so funny because people will be then asking, oh, well, where'd you start? We're like, oh, well, we just started in Denver just a couple of days ago. We're like, oh, wow, wow, you have a really, wow, you have a really long way to go. You can just see, like, the mental process of these people that we're talking to. Like, you know, they ask the destination. We say South America. They think, oh, my God, that's incredible. And then, you know, just for clarification, like Tom said, they ask where we started. And then they get this puzzled look on their face because where we started is barely a hundred miles away. Yeah, it's within a day's <laughs> within a day's drive of wherever we've been asked the question. So we've had some really funny uh encounters with people. Just judging their reactions has kind of made us uh appreciate the craziness of what we're trying to do. And uh yeah. I'm sure we'll have many more encounters. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of our one of our funniest encounters on just a very simple level was Ty and I stayed with a friend at the Keystone Science Center and we're out eating breakfast that they graciously hooked it up with egg, sausage, potatoes, the whole gamut. And they were hosting this group of fourth graders from a Denver school. And this group of kids is walking by these little boys. And one of them is talking about his laser beam. He said, well, yeah, my laser has the ability to kill but it can also heal and it can paralyze. And Ty and I start laughing. And then Ty mentions, he's like, well, dude, think about if like adults, like grown adults still had imaginations like that. And we're running around. Like, picture, <laughs> picture at your job at the Vita if on someone's coffee break, they were running around pretending to shoot laser beams at each other. Beep, 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 beep. <laughs> and, and I don't know, it was, it was really funny, but like on our ride, on our ride that day, I was thinking about it more and more and I, it, I, it weirdly kind of kept coming back to this idea. People keep asking us why we're doing this and we have no freaking idea why we're doing this. We don't have any sort of big, romantic, beautiful answer to why we're riding our bikes down to South America, but, um, I think that imagination piece is, is a big part of it. I think that sitting in front of a computer screen for the last two and a half years, your eyes get slightly glazed and your brain gets a little clogged up with grease and you lose a little bit of that imagination piece. And I think that's what we're going to start finding again is being able to just be completely awestruck and in wonder of the simplest of things. And, you know, it doesn't justify 
the the why we're doing this, but I think it definitely plays into effect of what we're what we might be able to trick our brains into doing again and hopefully, you know, bring back some of that imagination that we we don't necessarily practice in the same ways, but mm-hmm. I don't know, that was one of those subtle little things that kind of just stuck with me and kept kept floating back, but I don't know. I'm, I'm excited for that. That'll, that'll be cool. Yep. And it's been, uh, I think it's been good for both of us to be continuously fielding these kinds of questions because even if we stumble through this like weird, incoherent answer to that question, we're at least thinking about it and uh, we're like just practicing not only uh, asking ourselves those questions, but uh, it's great because with every new encounter that we have, with every new series of questions that we get from a total stranger, Tom and I are working on our storytelling. And that's what we're trying to do with this podcast is tell interesting stories about things that we're doing that we think are interesting. And uh, we're slowly building those skills every day when we talk to these strangers. Maybe we should start just making things up. Like, why are you doing this? Or or some crazy answer. Like, We, we both have a year to live. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or like what would be another good one uh, we're doing it for medical research about how much pain the human undercarriage <laughs> can sustain we're actually getting paid by scientists back east uh, in a lab <laughs> to undergo all this suffering <laughs> I'm going to start doing that one that's a good one oh, alright well what, we got another Tomorrow's going to be a big day. We got 70. Yep. Tomorrow is another challenging day. We're pretty sure that the conditions are not going to be a limiting factor tomorrow. Just uh, just our legs. Well, it turns out we weren't that limited. We no. crushed an 80-mile day with a headwind to bring us into Carbondale for the weekend. With the most grueling mile by far being the final mile home. <laughs> Straight up. Just terribly, terribly, terribly steep, dead middle of the day. <laughs> yeah, we crushed it. Yep. Felt good to get that under the belt. Yep. Good to know that we can crank out that kind of distance when we have to. But it definitely was not without the help of uh, some really generous people, both friends and loved ones and strangers. And that brings us into our most beloved segment, uh, The Kindness of Strangers. And we'd like to start off by thanking Matt, who picked us up at Loveland Basin, took us to the summit of Loveland Pass. Thanks for the ride, Matt. And Emma with Keystone Science School, thanks for giving us a place to crash and a room for us to dry out all of our smelly, wet gear. Also, Nate from KSS for hooking it up with a burrito dinner and a big old sausage, egg, and potato breakfast. It was much appreciated and much needed. Uh, Dave and Melvin, you guys were awesome, giving us a ride over Vail Pass after we got shut down yet again, and uh, we love talking to you and just uh, hearing your encouraging words and seeing your response uh, online. And Jeannie Patterson for giving us a place to stay and filling our bellies up with a delicious dinner um, in copper. And then, of course, the Josems for... Uh, giving us a place to crash when you were out of town in Vail. Thanks a lot. 
Eric, who we ran into on the bike path between Eagle and Gypsum, uh, avid cyclist, killer mountain biker, just generally encouraging dude who uh, told us to not give up. Thank you, Eric. And last but most definitely not least, the Ward family for taking us in along with about 10 of our friends for the weekend in Carbondale, feeding us, uh, giving us a bunch of cozy beds to stay in, warm showers. Uh, It was the greatest rest days you could possibly ask for. So thank you all so, so much for helping us out because this trip would not be possible uh, without the kindness of strangers. And speaking of helping us out, another great way um, for us to improve what we're doing on this trip is for you, the listener, to help us out. And you can do that by leaving us reviews on iTunes, by contacting us through our website. Let us know what you liked about the show, what we can improve on. Uh, If you can't tell by what we've produced already, we are total amateurs and uh, we want to make this show as high quality as possible. And we would love your feedback to make that happen. Yeah, check out our website. Our buddy Mike created just a gem of a site. There's a really awesome map on there that details our route. You have the ability to drop pins. If you have restaurants, places to stay, people we can stay with, uh, you can drop those pins on there. Let us know. Share that with us uh, because we need uh, we need more info. Uh, this trip is incredibly unplanned. Uh, it's definitely been one of the most... Uh, laughable parts about this trip is people people being so mesmerized with oh my gosh wow I can't believe how well planned this is I can't like I never would be able to plan anything of this nature when just uh, hour ago Tyler and I were sitting in front of a computer trying to figure out where in the hell we're going to be riding our bikes the next week uh, let alone the next day so uh, we need all the help we can get, and um, best recommendations come from folks who intimately know the places we're maybe or maybe not riding through. So um, help us out. We'd, we'd love to have you be part of this trip. We look forward to hearing those responses from you guys, and we hope that you look forward to the next episode, which should be within about two weeks. We're going to try and keep that routine going. Yeah, so until, until then. Folks. In the in the meantime, we'll be uh, pedaling uh, down to Telluride. Hopefully, make it there uh, by the end of this week, and then after that, we'll be crossing our first border, uh, just this Colorado Utah border, and um, keep uh, keeping our keeping our way west uh, towards the towards the Pacific. So we'll be snaking our way through Utah and probably giving an update from the middle of freaking nowhere uh, in the desert. So should things, things should be getting interesting as we are now, uh, we'll no longer have Colorado home field advantage, which has been quite nice as we've been pedaling through places that we've already been to and have people to stay with and, and whatnot. So it's only going to get more interesting from here. (laughs) 